From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Good evening. I hope you are having a great, great day. Welcome to this Tuesday edition of Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss. I'm the senior advisor for the president here at the Family Research Council, and I'm extremely pleased and honored to be sitting in for Tuesday on for Tony on this Tuesday evening. But most of all, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for entrusting this hour of your time with us here at Washington Watch. You know, our purpose here is to bring you the latest news as to what's happening in our country and the newsmakers, but to do all of that from a Christian worldview perspective. So thank you for entrusting this time to us. And I believe we have a super, super program lined up for you today. Let's begin with this clip. Guys, you guys can ask me this 100 times, 200 times if you wish. I'm going to keep saying the same thing. I hear your question. It's been asked. It's been answered. It's been noted. And we're just going to try to move on here. uh, And we're going to move on. We're just going to move on. We're just going to move on. And beyond that, we're just going to keep moving on. That was an exacerbated White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre responding or not responding, I'll leave that call up to you, to questions on the latest news in the investigation of President Biden. Uh, U.S. Congressman Ronnie Jackson of Texas is going to be joining here momentarily with his reaction to the ongoing investigation and more. The Republican-controlled House has now commissioned a special investigative panel focused on the coronavirus pandemic. So you can be sure uh, we all are going to be seeing a lot more of Dr. Anthony Fauci back on Capitol Hill. And he says he's ready for that. Like I said, uh, Neil, and I'll repeat it again, I have a great deal of respect for the process of oversight. I have absolutely nothing to hide at all. I'll be able to defend everything that I've done. Well, we'll see all about that. That was uh, Dr. Science himself, Dr. Fauci, recently on uh, Fox's Your World with Neil Cavuto. Uh, we're also going to be talking to Congressman Jackson about that. Also, could some new federal regulations for faith-based organizations require those organizations to literally disavow their beliefs in order to work for the government? Folks, if so, this is nothing but discrimination from our government against faith-based organizations. But there's new rules coming from the Biden administration that potentially could lead to this. And so I'll be discussing this later on the program with Travis Weber. He's the vice president for policy and government affairs at FRC. And you don't want to miss that. And speaking of the Biden administration, a complaint has been filed against a Texas school district for its library policies regarding what material is appropriate or not appropriate for children. We all know the Biden administration uh, has been promoting transgender ideology. Uh, and can we expect more of this? Joining me to discuss that topic here a little later in the program is Meg Kilgannon with FRC. And again, you don't want to miss that. It could have potentially great ramifications for school districts right by you. And President Biden spoke to a church congregation this past Sunday. As a former pastor, 
I certainly have some thoughts on the president's sermon, and I've invited another minister of the gospel, Virgil Walker, to help unpack that message and discuss it further. And just a reminder, uh, as this program is aired on different uh, outlets all across the country, it's also online at TonyPerkins.com. So if you miss by chance any portion of today's program, you can find it right there at TonyPerkins.com. And of course, many other archive programs are there as well. And let me just say this before we jump into the program. Tony has a new book out. You know we are living in a cancel culture. It's so incredibly important that we learn how to respond in this culture in which we're living. Tony's new book is entitled Jeremiah, Courage in a Cancel Culture. It can't get any more perfect than that for our need in this day. The book is a 40-day study guide. It unpacks lessons from Jeremiah's bold stands for truth. It deals with uh, warnings of judgment from the Lord. It has a host of tremendous promises from the Scripture. You want to get your copy today, you can do so by texting Jeremiah to 67742. And I encourage you to do so and get your copy of that incredibly important book. Now let's get into the program. As the investigation into President Biden's handling of these confidential documents continue, the White House said yesterday it does not keep visitor logs for the president's personal residence in Delaware. That seems rather odd to me in itself. But on top of the obvious there, we all know now that there's a cache of confidential documents that's been discovered. And the Secret Service was not even tracking visitors? Well, the, an obvious question, did this pose a threat to our national security? Uh, where are these investigations going to go from here? Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is U.S. Representative Ronnie Jackson. He was recently appointed to the House Committee on Agriculture for this 118th Congress. He represents the 13th District of Texas. Congressman Jackson, great to see you again. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you, Jody. Appreciate it. And uh, we miss you in the 118th. Well, thank you much. Listen, first of all, congratulations on your appointment to the Ag Committee. I know that's a, a big deal for you and your district there in Texas, so congratulations. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. I have the number one Ag District in the state of Texas, number five in the country, and uh, there's just me and one other Texas member on Ag now, so I think it's going to be a, a pretty pivotal position. I'm really looking forward to getting to work, and we got the Farm Bill coming up this year, so I uh, should be uh, able to get a lot of good stuff done. Outstanding. Well, we're proud of you for that. But listen, you were a naval officer, uh, and you, you you've served on the House Committee on Foreign Affairs. Uh, when we were talking about these classified documents, uh, how, how does your background affect your views on these classified documents and the response so far uh, from the president's handling of all this? Well, I think I, I just see it probably as just as ridiculous, if not more ridiculous than uh, your typical you know, uh, citizen because of my background, because I was, you know, if you remember, Jody, I was at the White House for 15 years, well, almost 15 years. I was a physician for Bush, Obama and Trump. So I was there for quite a long time. So I know how this whole process works. And, you know, uh, for President Biden to you know, imply that it was OK that he had the documents or it wasn't a big deal because they were locked up in his garage, that's ridiculous. It doesn't matter where those documents are. It doesn't matter if he had a skiff built at his home 
home, uh, he was not authorized to have those documents when he had them as as a former vice president. And, you know, people talk all the time about, you know, you mentioned the, the, the visitor's log and whatnot. And I think that's a little bit ridiculous, too, that there's not someone tracking that. And I'm sure the Secret Service is vetting people that are coming in now. But you have to remember that he's been gone for six years. And if uh, a vice president only gets Secret Service protection for six months after they leave office. So six months after he left office, he didn't have any Secret Service protection, and he didn't pick it up again probably until about 18 months before he was elected. So there's a two-year period in there where he had no Secret Service protection, and that was just Joe Citizen's house. And it was actually a house that Hunter Biden had listed as his as his primary residence. So uh, who knows who's had access to these documents? Uh, you know, who knows if Hunter and some of Hunter's friends have had access to it? Uh, you know, and we know, you know, uh, some of the big people he hangs out with are probably not the most trustworthy people in the, in the world. And then who knows if some of the people that have been employing him, that have been giving him these big paychecks over the last few years that are adversaries of ours, uh, you know, Ukraine and, and China and Russia, if, if they've had access to these documents. So I'm very concerned about what's going on in the Biden uh, in this in this issue with Biden and the classified documents. Well, I tell you, Congressman, that those are some excellent points that you bring up and questions, frankly, that demand an answer. Are you are you confident that this new Republican led Congress is going to do the necessary investigation to get to the bottom of this? I really am, Jody. I, you know, I think that Kevin McCarthy, who's our new speaker now, has been talking about this for two years. He was on the campaign trail a lot, as was I, campaigning for other candidates, and I heard him speak numerous times. And he mentioned frequently, uh, pretty much every time he spoke, that we were going to have oversight uh, of what, we, and we were going to have some hearings, and we were going to get to the bottom of a lot of these issues, uh, the origins of COVID, and you know, Anthony Fauci and the NIH, and then now, uh, you know, the issue with the Biden family and and the Hunter Biden and, and the potential influences there. So I really believe that he'll do this. And, you know, uh, we have a small majority. Uh, we have a five-seat majority right now. So I think, uh, you know, uh, Speaker McCarthy's going to have his feet held to the fire on this, and I think that he's going to be happy to follow through on his commitment to make this happen. Well, there will be a lot of people who are happy, uh, likewise, to see it come about. I'm encouraged to hear. Speaking of, of investigations, if we can shift gears just a little bit, uh, with this Republican-controlled House now, uh, they have now commissioned a, a special investigative panel focused on the coronavirus pandemic. And as you referenced, and as we all know, uh, you are a leading doctor. I'm, I'm really curious about your thoughts on all of this. Well, I, I'm excited to look into that as well, because, you know, this was an absolute disaster for our country. It was a disaster for our children. It was a disaster for our economy. The livelihoods of many people were destroyed. Uh, you know, for two years, we lived under this, you know, authoritarian rule that was put in place with the mass mandates and and, uh, you know, the the, uh, the lockdown, so on and so forth. So we can never let this happen again. We need to find out exactly what the truth was and, and how it, what led us to that point, because I think there was a lot of misinformation, some lies and some dishonesty that, that brought us there. And so we're going to look into that. And I think that Anthony Fauci, Dr. Fauci, is at the root of a lot of that. And I think that he, he was driven by, uh, you know, a, a variety of interests, a lot of which weren't uh, the, the best interests of the American people. I think that he's destroyed the, the, uh, the American people's faith in, in our public health system here in the United States, and we need to regain that. So we need to look into what goes on at NIH as well. There's a lot of corruption there, I think. There's a lot of kickbacks, a lot of people that are getting these royalties from uh, research that they're working on, research that they're funding and promoting and propping up, and then lining their pockets with some of the revenue from this. And that's that's really just a horrible way uh, for, for us to approach uh, public health and uh, some of the most cutting-edge research, cutting research 
in our nation. Well, I'm really glad you brought that up because I, I was just uh, made aware of that uh, just in some uh, research and so forth recently. Now, I have a clip here that actually deals with those royalties that you're talking about. Uh, look at this clip, and I would like to get your reaction in the last couple of minutes we have. We now know, coming back through the other door, over the course of the past 12 years has been $1.4 billion worth of these hidden secret third-party royalties that enrich the agency, its leadership, and 2,400 of its scientists. Incredibly, although NIH produced 3,000 pages of information, they redacted key information that we need to follow the money. We still can't follow the money. Stunning. That was Adam Angievsky. He's a CEO of the government watchdog group, Open the Books. Uh, but look, we've only got about 60 seconds left here. But is this something that's going to be looked into? Absolutely. You know, you got to, Anthony Fauci needs to explain where his personal wealth came from. And I think that a lot of it's going to be tied to that clip you just played because, you know, I was on active duty in the Navy for 25 years. I was not able to accumulate any type of wealth like that. You know, and I, as a public servant on a government paycheck for all those years, I don't know how Anthony Fauci could be worth millions and millions and millions of dollars right now. He's insanely wealthy and I'd like to know where all that money came from. So we are going to find out about that. Granted, he was the highest paid employee in the federal government, but still, uh, there's no way he should have amassed that kind of wealth. But something's going on, and we will figure it out. Well, listen, uh, Congressman Jackson, I can't thank you enough for your incredible leadership on so many fronts. We are deeply grateful to you uh, on all this, and uh, thank you so much for joining us this evening on Washington Watch. Thank you, Jody. I appreciate you having me. Well, listen, as uh, we go to our next segment, we've got some chilling information about faith-based organizations and potential attacks from the Biden administration. Stay tuned to Washington Watch. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview. 
Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose— Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss. Honored to be filling in this evening for Tony. All right, let's go on. We've got some new rules that are coming down for the Biden administrations that could empower federal agencies to force faith-based organizations to violate their faith if they want to continue serving their communities in partnership with the federal government. Now, just think of that. It's incredible to imagine our government would force faith-based organizations to violate their faith in order to partner with the government in doing the calling and the mission that they believe they should do as an organization. I mean, we've just seen a continued hostility from the Biden administration toward many faith-based groups, and this is just yet another example of that. So what's going on? What can we expect with all this? Joining me now to help explain this is Travis Weber. He's the Vice President for Policy and Government Affairs at the Family Research Council. Travis, as always, welcome back to Washington Watch, and thanks for the incredible job that you do. Thank you. Well, listen, let's jump into this. It's a very concerning topic to me, and I think to all of us, uh, our viewers and listeners alike, faith-based organizations play such a vital role uh, in assisting families, assisting communities. Uh, tell us about these new regulations. Yeah, yeah. so Jody, this is important because I think um, it may not get a lot of attention in a lot of media. Um, there's not too much reporting on this. But this is why, this is all the more reason for us to explain uh, for um, Americans out there wh- why this is significant. And here's why. Going back to uh, early in the Bush administration, there have been a, a series of federal programs that allow faith-based organizations to partner with the federal government to serve their communities. So the Bush administration laid out a protocol on this, followed by the Obama administration, followed by the Trump administration. And when the, what the Trump administration did was it, it laid out a robust system for ensuring that religious entities can partner with the federal government while remaining free to live out their faith and, and in a robust manner ensure their organizational integrity was not affected by them showing up and saying, look, we want to help serve our communities, partner with the federal government, distribute federal money, but we don't want to be forced to violate our faith in the process. We don't want that to be a condition of our participation. So this was a good step. Now what the Biden administration is doing, in line with its other efforts to curtail robust religious uh, exercise, it's rolling back large segments of the Trump rule. Uh, And this rule covers 
a host of different, nine different federal agencies and governs the faith partners, faith-based partnerships that organizations can undertake with those agencies. So it's comprehensive, it's widespread. The reason it may not get a lot of attention initially is, is the changes really get into the weeds. The, the, the changes that administrations are making and, and, and what the Biden administration is doing here, it, it doesn't sound very glamorous. You know, it talks about changes to the way an organization has to refer or not refer uh, or require recipients to go through all of its programming. This stuff is not, it uh, doesn't have a lot of zing for the average American, but, but it's important because this is what is shaping the way organizations can freely participate in our, our cultural marketplace or not. So we are opposed the changes that Biden is making here, rolling back the robust nature of protections in, in a host of different areas I can get into, but basically it's rolling back the way in which organizations can participate with the federal government and remain free to their faith. Well, I don't know that it could have been explained any more succinctly and more profoundly than what you just described, Travis. So, so my question in all of this is, uh, what is our conclusion? I mean, how, how does the American, average American citizen look at this and not conclude that these are but regulations that are deliberately hostile to faith-based organizations. Is that a true assessment? Yeah, I think certainly in several areas, right? So there's a host of different changes depending on the agency. But if we can boil this down, I think there's two flashpoints. One involves the clash, which we know well, between the, the, the uh, ideology of the sexual revolution, um, <clears throat> and that, inc that includes sexual orientation non-discrimination, gender identity non-discrimination, the clash between that ideology and religious freedom. You know, and here you have explicitly uh, the Biden administration uh, announcing that it, it, it is concerned about uh, the Trump administration's application of Title VII religious freedom protections. And so it's rolling those back and it's discussing explicitly the, the curtailment of religious freedom for an organization, for instance, when it, it would claim to, to live out its faith in an area um, such that would impact sex non-discrimination. It mentions the Bostock case, which, which the Supreme Court pronounced erroneously that, that sex non-discrimination under Title VII includes sexual orientation and gender identity. So for the Biden administration to explicitly flag that provision, you know that they are, are interested in curtailing and suppressing religious freedom when the interest of the sexual revolution and sexual orientation, gender identity, non-discrimination need to be advanced in their view. So that's an area of, of, that we need to pay attention to. Secondly, I think, boil down, uh, you know, there, there's a conflict between, um, you know, the, the, the state declaring uh, the marketplace, sec, sec, the public square secular government to be a secular zone, so to speak, and, and the religious ex exercise, robust religious exercise of, for instance, religious schools, religious nonprofits, those who might work with the federal government in these programs. So in that conflict, you know, the Biden administration is putting its thumb on the favor, on the side of the secularization of the federal government by rolling back areas where religious entities might engage in more robust practice. And, and so... I mean, this is, and the way this is occurring in the programs, uh, rolling, you know, uh, in requiring them to, to um, 
limiting uh, limiting their ability to require participants to go through a number of programs with the faith-based entity, requiring them to refer out, give disclosures that they're not engaged in religious non-discrimination. A lot of these things, you know, it may not be objectionable completely on their face, but they are having the effect of limiting the religious practice of faith-based entities who want to show up and help in the public square. So these, this is concerning. We, we hope uh, people are aware of what's going on. And we do want to keep an eye on these things and make sure that folks are, have the right information and, and are engaged on them. Travis, we've only got uh, less than uh, 30 seconds left. But as far as I can tell, Senator Rubio is about the only one talking about this. Is, yeah. uh, are, are, is there any other coverage? Anybody picking this up? Yes, yeah, Senator Rubio has done a good job highlighting uh, concerns with this. We expect other members of Congress will be concerned, uh, and we hope to engage this issue with them. Travis Weber with FRC, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you coming back on Washington Watch this evening. Coming up. A Texas school district is under fire for removing certain books from its libraries. We'll discuss it right after this break. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, filling in for Tony Perkins. A great program so far and more yet to come. Uh, last year, a school district in Texas removed uh, several books, the subject matter of which included uh, things like gender confusion and transgender ideology. They removed those books from their school library, and in response, the ACLU of Texas filed a complaint with the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Civil Rights uh, to contest and protest, alleging a Title IX violation. 
And, you know, look, it's true the Department of Education can withhold federal funding if it finds that there's been a violation that was not properly addressed. But are we going to continue seeing more cases like this? And as I mentioned in the previous segment, the Biden administration has proven itself to push this transgender ideology in schools in every chance that it gets. And that's alarming. It's concerning. Joining me now to discuss this is Meg Kilgannon. She's a senior fellow for education studies at the Family Research Council. Uh, Meg, welcome back to Washington Watch. We appreciate you coming to join us. Thanks for having me, Jody. It's great to be here. Well, thank you so much. All right, Meg, let's just, if you can, walk our viewers and listeners through the details of this situation. Am I correct that, that we're seeing stories like this more and more? Yes, and I think that we need to just remind everybody, though, the people listening to this show probably don't need to be reminded that uh, allowing children to have access to pornographic content is not a civil right. And so the fact that the American Civil Liberties Union is proceeding along these grounds is disturbing on a whole lot of levels. The governor of Texas um, understood that there was a lot of energy in the grassroots in Texas and across the country with parents going to school board meetings, reading excerpts from books that he suspected might be in Texas public school libraries. And so Governor Abbott sent a letter to the Texas School Board Association directing them to investigate the matter in Texas school libraries across the state. And if they found books with pornographic content, they were to be removed from the school system in Texas. This is a completely legitimate use of a, a governor exercising authority over the school system uh, in, the, in, in his state and, and leading, right? But the, so there were a couple of school districts, hopefully all the school districts undertook this project, but there are a couple of school districts that the ACLU has targeted for retribution because they reply, they, they responded to this request by the governor and removed books that have sexually explicit and age-inappropriate content in them from their public school libraries. So this, this, they, it seems that they're doing the bidding of the publishing industry. You know, parents are not often going to buy this kind of material for their children. And so the publishing industry sells this instead to schools uh, in order to, to make money off of this kind of content. It's not appropriate. This is just unbelievable. I mean, isn't it illegal to provide pornographic material to children? It is, but there is an educational exception called an obscenity exemption that if the material has educational value, it can right. be presented to children. Now, you and I would know that that means teaching children about how their bodies function or the, the process of human reproduction, which is a beautiful and glorious gift from God, right? That, that, that's not what's in these books. These books right. are that's... salacious. They, they depict sex, sexual activity between people. And it doesn't matter who the people are who are having the sexual activity. We don't want children exposed to books with this kind of material in it. And the fact that the ACLU seems to be obsessed with the, the uh, fact that some of these books are LGBTQ, I think says more about them than it does about us. 
Well, absolutely. I mean, this is this is one of those topics that is infuriating to think that this is being pushed down these children and 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 now the ACLU and I mean, assumingly the Biden administration is going to come out in support of this. So what's going to happen here? Are we going to see the administration? I mean, obviously, they're going to be eager to slap the school district on the wrist or maybe even worse than that. It may be worse than a a slap on the wrist. What do you anticipate is going to happen here? Well, the interesting thing is that the the ACLU is operating under this fantasy that it is a civil right for children to have access to pornography. Um, And we know that that's not a civil right, no matter what kind of interpretation you want to try to put on the phrase in Title IX on the basis of sex, it's never going to cover giving children access to books that include sexually explicit scenes. So um, the, the Biden administration, the, the folks at the Office of Civil Rights there at the Department of Education are going to, to investigate. They will send a lot of letters. They may send people to the school district. They'll, uh, there'll be a lot of, of uh, money paid to lawyers by the school districts, money that should be going into the classroom to support children, but instead will be going to the legal warfare infrastructure around education in the service of these ideologies. It's possible okay. that the school district may have some sort of a, a penalty in the end, but um, really it's it's about publicity around this issue that, that they are All right, seeking. Meg. All right, Meg, 30 seconds here. What are parents supposed to do? How, how should parents react when material like this is in their children's school? Make sure your library knows that you're, you don't want your children to have access to this and go to frc.org slash schools for more information. Meg Kilgannon, thank you so much for bringing us up to speed on this incredibly important topic. We appreciate it. Coming up, President Biden spoke in a church earlier this week. How did his sermon hold up? Well, stay tuned. I will discuss this after the break. Thank you for joining us this evening on Washington Watch. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. 
with just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, filling in for Tony Perkins, and we appreciate you joining us and are honored to have you. All right, this past Sunday, President Biden took to the pulpit at the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, uh, which I'm sure most of you are aware, that's the former church of slain civil rights pioneer, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It's also the current church of Democrat Senator Raphael Warnock. Now, many of you may know me as a former congressman and now working with Family Research Council, but I'm also a former pastor of almost 30 years. I don't know, I've probably have preached thousands of sermons in my lifetime. So I thought it would be very helpful to invite a fellow minister of the gospel to join the program with me now to break down the president's sermon. And I think this is going to be uh, eye-opening on many fronts. So joining me now to discuss this is Virgil Walker. He's the executive director of operations for G3 Ministries and is also co-host of the podcast, Just Thinking. Virgil, welcome back to Washington Watch. It's an honor to have you back, my friend. It's an honor to be with you. Thanks for having me, Jody. Well, it's a great honor to have you. Listen, before we get into specifics, uh, just give me your overall thoughts on the president's message on Sunday. Yeah, the pre- president's message on Sunday, I think probably the first thing that struck me was uh, j- just the apparent, it was apparent even during the introduction with Warnock that this was more of an ecumenical uh, service. Uh, Warnock admitted that the president was you know, a practicing Catholic. Uh, so it was odd to me that you had this practicing Catholic who was you know, providing a sermon uh, to a Protestant church uh, on the Lord's Day. I, th- I think it might have been consistent to have a president speak on, on Monday, on, on the MLK Day, or on another day of the week, but to have him speaking and, and to give the Sunday morning service message was just a bit odd. Uh, add to that that none of the words that he shared or talked about, uh, it was absolutely devoid of, of any gospel proclamation. Uh, it was devoid of, of anything that we would recognize from a standpoint of, of the Christian faith. Uh, it was more attached to 
uh, the social gospel, uh, which is something that Dr. King preached. Uh, it was something that, that was originated by uh, Walter Rauschenbusch. Uh, you had more of this social gospel and this idea about a utopia that could be brought about if we all just came together and, and joined hands in unity, more, more like a Coke commercial from days of old uh, than anything related to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, those are really some good observations. Uh, you know, the, the, the pastor of the church is Senator Warnock, yeah. uh, who, as we all know, is extremely explicit in his support of the abortion industry. Uh, but during the speech or sermon, whatever you want to call it, uh, President Biden talked about Dr. King's moral vision right. and Dr. King's path. Uh, right. I, I want to get your reaction to this, but let me, let me play this clip for you. We gather to contemplate his moral vision and to commit ourselves to his path, to his path, the path that leads to the beloved community, to the sacred place, that sacred hour when justice rains down like waters and righteousness is a mighty stream. Look, I think we all understand we need moral vision these yeah. days. I mean, we, we have lost our moral compass in this country. Yeah. Uh, but, but what was Dr. King's moral vision? What was he referring to? Yeah, I, I think really what, what we've witnessed is uh, King had a desire, and he wrote a letter uh, to his wife, Coretta, to speak about the gospel uh, that he would preach. And, and that gospel uh, included a redistribution of wealth, uh, the idea that there would be no more war and that people would get along with one another, uh, regardless of the basis of the color of their skin. Now, uh, you know, of those visions, uh, the idea behind bringing those things about uh, had little to do, again, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reason for that is King did not believe he did not affirm in, he did not affirm the deity of Christ. Uh, he did not affirm the resurrection of Christ. Uh, he did not affirm the virgin birth. Uh, he did not affirm a literal hell. So his gospel was a gospel-less gospel. Uh, it had everything to do with just this moral ideals, and, and those were brought about uh, primarily by political force and thought. And so what, what uh, the, the president was alluding to is really, for him in this day, it's more of what the Democratic Party has paid for us, one where, where, where we amplify ideas around social justice, we amplify ideas that, that really cause division through the promotion of, of CRT in schools, uh, what, what, whether it's the destruction of marriage. Uh, I know they call it the Respect for Marriage Act, but it's more the Disrespect for Marriage Act. That, that's the path. That, those are the pathways that the Democratic Party is now advancing. And unfortunately, as I watch the midterm elections, that's primarily what black churches that I'm, I'm experiencing here in Georgia are promoting. I watched Stacey Abrams and Raphael Warnock advance this cause throughout black churches here in Georgia. And it was, it was a sad commentary uh, for where the Bible instructs us to be and where Dr. King's current vision based upon those who are advancing his cause desire for us to be. Well, you know, you're giving some information. I'm sure that many of our viewers and listeners right now are uh, kind of shocked to hear uh, with that, with the moral vision and and what it's kind of morphed into. It seems as a political vision at this point in terms of what the president was talking about. But besides the moral vision, was the path. All right, I think that the discussion on the path 
here is also important for us to kind of wrap our brains around uh, what is uh, being referred to here. So what thoughts do you have on this path that the president says we need to commit to? Yeah, it's a path committed, unfortunately, uh, especially in this historically African-American church. It's a path that keeps that keeps blacks primarily hitched as with their wagons to a Democratic Party that, that really is has not meant well for them, has, has not helped them in any way, shape or form. All of what they promote and preach requires dependency upon government rather than independency, rather than autonomy away from government so that we can do more of our, uh, on our own. It, it's, a, it's a path that really, in my estimation, based upon the moral uh, issues of, of marriage, of family, uh, of what we talked about earlier with regard to the issue of, of abortion, all of those paths based upon this current path that the Democratic Party would have us to, to, to be on lead to the absolute destruction of the family unit as we know it. And this is something that black churches, black families in particular, again, where he was, I recognize on, on MLK Day he was speaking to the nation, but it was primarily aimed at a historically black church for the purpose of delivering to them a message that he believed would resonate with them. And, and this is one that, that we've got to get off of the path. Uh, blacks pri primarily and, and Americans as a whole need to walk away from a path that leads us to dependency on, on, on democratic platform issues. Well, any, any path that leads us to dependency upon government at all. But listen, I can't tell you how much I'm appreciating this uh, discussion and the insight that you bring to the table here. Uh, and of course, uh, President Biden said that Dr. King's mission was spiritual and moral. Uh, okay, uh, that that's good and fine. But the goal of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference uh, was to redeem so-called the soul of America. And that's a term the president has used often. Again, here's a clip I want to play and get your reaction to. Sure. What, what is the soul of America? Easy to say. What is the soul of America? Well, soul is the breath, the life, the essence of who we are. The soul makes us us. The soul of America is embodied in a sacred proposition that we're all created equal in the image of God. You know, the president cited what's commonly known as the, the golden rule from Matthew 22 and Luke 10, uh, where, where Jesus said, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then he says, you should love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Uh, but let's, let me hear your thoughts on this whole concept of the soul of America. What are, what are you, what's your reactions to that? My, my initial reaction is is one of, of great grief uh, because th there's no political party uh, or no movement that can redeem a soul. Uh, if, if, if we're serious about soul winning, soul winning only happens through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you get up on a Sunday morning uh, at a church and, and, and preach a gospelless message, and you turn a message into a into a, a failed movement, uh, we've got problems. Uh, I, th that's 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 the first part of my thought. The second component of that is um, the, the the Democratic Party, uh, Warnock in particular, uh, and primarily Black churches have have leaned into the idea of abortion. Uh, you know, this this was foreign. 
for, for decades to black culture. But again, King comes along and while he didn't advocate abortion per se, uh, he, he did receive the uh, Margaret Sanger Award, the, 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 uh, the person who started Planned Parenthood. He was, King was the first one to receive that award. And so it's not surprising that through King's leadership, through his acceptance, his validation of Margaret Sanger's eugenics work, her racist eugenics work, that, that masses of black people began to embrace the ideas surrounding Planned Parenthood. Uh, when, we, when you talk about loving your neighbor, when you talk about caring for the soul of America, we've got to stop. And the first priority that we should have is caring for our neighbor that's in the womb, uh, caring for the least of these that is in the womb. If we can't start there, understanding what life is, uh, understanding our need for care uh, for, for those who are most vulnerable uh, in the womb, then, then we, we've got problems connecting any other facet of a message. Wow, you are so spot on. And yeah, uh, let's again, uh, and I apologize for having so many clips, but I think it's important uh, for our viewers and listeners to see and to hear what the president had to say. But regarding the uh, loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength of your neighbor as yourself, here's what the president had to say about those verses. But in that commandment, in my view, lies the essence of the gospel and the essence of the American promise. It's when we see each other as neighbors and not enemies that progress and justice come. It's when we see each other as fellow human beings, as children of God, that we bend to begin to walk the path of Dr. King's beloved community. A path is dream-inspired and his legacy propel us forward to this day. Wow. Yeah, you know, look, you and I would both agree those are awesome verses uh, that we have of Jesus, but they were about the law. They, Jesus said these fulfilled the law and the problem. These are these verses are not the essence of the gospel. The gospel is about Jesus Christ and his redemptive death and burial re resurrection for us, for our sins. Uh, and so this whole thing is just taking another twist to reality. Uh, your thoughts on it? You, you took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, what, what, when, when he presents the gospel and then gives us the law, uh, the law is something we couldn't keep. And, and, and the fact that we had the law points us to the, the, our need for the message of the gospel, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. Add to that, he connected that promise uh, and, and those words of, of Christ to the, 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 the goal of America. Uh, now what we have is Christian nationalism. Right. We've got we've got Christian nationalism right there in the pulpit at the church. Uh, this this message that 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 he claimed is the gospel. He's connected to the promise of America. So is America supposed to be giving us a, a gospel promise of some kind? The only way that happens is if he, as the president of the United States, believes himself to be the savior. Uh, and that's what we have happening in our churches. This th every person in that church should have got up and walked out if they loved God. That's what they should have done upon hearing this false message that had nothing to do with the Christian gospel. Well, Virgil, listen, when you were just saying that, it reminded me, you know, there is a religious nature to the left-wing ideology. I recall being on the House floor, I don't know, sometime this past year, and Speaker Pelosi literally referred to the House chamber as the temple 
like a political temple, I believe was her expressions, instead of the people's house, instead of a place of debate, using religious terminology to describe the people's house. Are, are we seeing, I mean, you talk about this Christian nationalism, are we seeing a uh, almost a, a religious creation being developed out of left-wing ideology? Well, the, 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 left, the left have no—first of all, let me say this. What we're seeing with the social justice movement, with, with the CRT and its advance, uh, with the LGBTQIA plus agenda as it relates to issues of marriage uh, and, and the redefining of marriage, this is a religion. Uh, this is a religious cause, uh, and, and they will stop at no, at, 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 you know, at no turn to ensure to enshrine these ideas into our into our minds and into every facet of our of our culture and life. Uh, they they want their they want their religion to be codified into law. So that so that no one can stop what it is they're doing, and people can 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 either be fined or imprisoned for for debating or for arguing or for even having the thoughts that differ from their own. So this is very much a religion, and what you're seeing happening in the language that you spoke of with with Speaker Pelosi and the language that we're hearing from the president is the marrying of those ideas. The left have no problem with Christian nationalism so long as they're able to set the agenda. Well, Virgil Walker, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you coming on the program and helping to unfold uh, this message that the president gave at Ebenezer Baptist Church. Your insight is extremely valuable, and we need to make sure that we don't get twisted up on terminology. But thank you so much for joining us on Washington Watch tonight. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Jody. Well, listen, folks, again, every one of you, thank you so much for joining us, being a part of Washington Watch this evening. Be encouraged and always remember, the scripture tells us, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and go shine. Have a great evening. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 